0: My recording button isn't on.
1: It's recording for me. Okay. So uh, today I'm very excited to welcome Stu Webb, the father, the creator of collaborative law, uh, to Living Peace Podcast. Stu Webb, welcome to Living Peace Podcast.
0: Well, thanks. Uh, It's great to be here. And uh, Henry, uh, we go back a few years now, two or three years, and discovered that we both uh, had a lot of the same interests. And our uh, sort of both have a commitment to higher consciousness as well as collaborative law. So um, Yes, do Yeah.
1: And it's really such a pleasure for me and honor to have you. I consider you uh, a very good friend and a mentor. And you're certainly been, been one of inspirations for me um, to do what I do. So it's a real, real pleasure uh, to have you on Living Peace Podcast.
0: I'm glad to be here.
1: So, Stu, uh, many people may not even know what collaborative law, collaborative practice is. Could you tell us what it is?
0: Yes, I can tell you what it is. And uh, uh, basically, in telling you what it is, I'm gonna go back just a little bit and tell you how it started. Uh, I was a collaborative uh, litigating lawyer for 20 some years, uh, mainly in family law. And, uh, I got to the point in about 18, 1988 or so, I was completely done with, I just could not handle it anymore. I was, I was, uh, just, uh, practically ready to quit the practice of law. I figured I got to find another way to do it. So I experimented somehow, and I won't go into all of that. Try to find, if I can't, if I, if I, if I was gonna quit the practice of law, maybe there's some way to do it a little differently, some way to do what I like to do and not what I don't like to do. But I like to work with people, but I didn't like to go to court. I didn't like to make the one-sided arguments. So um, um, I came up with this idea that said, you know, if you're a settlement lawyer, you have to get out of the case if it doesn't settle. Because now you're into the litigation stuff again. That's what I didn't want to do. So you think that if I can be a specialist in settling, the idea I tell my client, you know, if we can't settle it, I'm out. So I call, uh, in 1990, I called myself a collaborative lawyer. There weren't any other ones. The, you know, it takes two to tangle. You gotta have gotta have someone on the other side like Henry here, who can you can trust, and we have a relationship where we're going to keep things as best possible into a dissolving conflict situation. So uh, I put out a letter to about nine of my local Minneapolis family law lawyers that I thought might be interested. Three responded. So we had four people as collaborative lawyers in 1990, and we put together all our system of agreements and this kind of stuff, and it worked. We, the first invitation was just try it. You, know, you don't have to join anything. You don't have to commit yourself. Just try it. Um, both clients liked it. So we started with four people. By the end of the year, we had nine. By the end of the second year, we had 20. And then the word started getting around around the country, and what it hit Henry is that uh, it hit a chord in other lawyers who were tired of the litigating, tired of the conflict, tired of taking positions that they didn't believe in, and and tired of not being able to just support the family system that was trying to get help here. So you so. In collaborative law, I represent a client, but I also there represent the family system in a sense, looking out for everybody and that keep the consciousness as high as possible. Mm -hmm. Now, what happened was with collaborative law is that all of a sudden after 10 years or so people's, we discovered that financial people Mental health people, child specialists, were all in the game. They wanted to play the game, same game. And they would agree to get out if it didn't settle. So we could all sit around the table and get all the facts out on the table. There's no no manipulating. There's no nothing that you just lay it all out there. You first start, you've got to know what's there. Then the parties can have something to work with. And we work with having people set their goals ahead of time, so we kind of know what they want to want to do. and when we do that, we find that often the parties have the same goals.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: they just get messed up in the little stuff and mm-hmm. get messed up in their thinking. so they get messed up in their conflict and so um, um, we part of what we do is and just sit around the table and just be ourselves as much as possible now what what is be yourself is an interesting question and so the question is uh, how one of the great things about collaborative law is it it helps you get better in being yourself
1: mm. because go ahead Oh, no, no, please, please continue.
0: Yeah. So it's like uh, 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 in litigation, you get better by learning how to manipulate people better and how to, how to spell things to the jury or to the court and to uh, weave manipulation, weave a fantasy in collaborative law we go back to who we are and find out who we are. So the challenge is we get better by getting better at being who we are. Mm. And that's so, uh, to to flash to the end, what started with four people in 1990, in 2018 there's now 30 or 40,000 collaborative practitioners around the world in about 120 countries. I just got back about three weeks ago from Brazil. We trained 250 collaborative professionals, financial, mental health people, child specialists and lawyers. 85% of them were women in ages between 20, in the 20s and 30s. And this was a training. They'd already have a big group there, but the energy, that it generates from that is just fantastic. And uh, I had the privilege of listening to your podcast with your teacher the other day, Anji. I was very impressed with that. And I liked what you guys said and the way you're looking at how getting separated from your thoughts. So you have a chance to be something different than your thoughts. Mm. And and uh, I'd like to initiate a little thing about that, because I think we both see the difference between arguing and dialogue. Yes. Arguing, you think you're your thoughts. Yes. And, you're th- and so you're having to protect yourself by taking those positions, and you get angry, and you get, you, you can't move, and so if two people are arguing, you get nowhere. Yes. The dialogue, you've got to separate yourself from your thinking. And then thoughts are out here, and I'm here. Yes. So if Henry's there and his thoughts are over here, and we can exchange ideas and thoughts, and maybe I'll learn something from Henry. Who knows?
1: <laughs> yes, yes, too. Well, uh, so many, you've said so many, so many amazing, um, amazing things. Uh, and I want to go back. I will go back in a second to talking about uh, this idea of who we truly are that is so connected to, to collaborative law. But first, I want to ask you, did you ever expect uh, that collaborative law would take off in a way that it did? As you said, there are now over 30,000 individuals who are practicing, who are consider- considering themselves collaborative pro- professionals. There are people in Brazil and Europe, all over the world who are doing this work. Did you ever anticipate uh, the collaborative will take off the way it did?
0: No, I really didn't. Uh, uh, to be perfectly honest, uh, the initiation was selfish. I want to take care of myself. I wanted to live, I wanted to live a life. I was, my, I was going crazy trying to do a, a litigation practice. And I got to the point where I was scattered, I, nothing. No, no centering, you know, and so I I had to either get out to survive or find a way. So if it starts with selfishness uh, Well now so You can hit other people can get, get selfish, too mm-hmm. see, I'm getting tired of this painful. I don't like the pain. I don't like the suffering So there's a an initial thing we call uh, Pain but the pain is telling us to let, uh, to let go and do something different <laughs> and so, um, you know, if you have your hand on a hot stove, you know, uh, pretty soon you let go of it pretty quickly. You know, mm-hmm. it's it hot, it burns. So you learn, oh, I'm not going to do that. Mm. So you learn how to deal with the pain in a different way for other people. And that's one of the things that people could all of a sudden see, my gosh, I can help people at the same time. I'm helping myself. I can just be there in a loving way with these people. And I've got to look out for my client, but the client, but I'm looking out for them in a different way. I'm helping them support who they are and get calmed down so they can get a good vision of what's the best thing to do here. And we've got time. There's no hurry, there's no court that we're not in court at all. The court doesn't even know we're doing anything,
2: uh-huh.
0: yeah. you know, for the most part. Uh, we haven't starred anything in court. We're just sitting around a table and saying, hey, how are we going to sell this? Uh-huh. And, uh, so um, uh, that's kind of the thing that attracts the people. I, I use a, a, a metaphor of, uh, you know, in music, they have the tuning fork. You hit a tuning fork and it vibrates. And pretty soon you put it next to a tuning fork that's not moving mm-hmm. and it starts vibrating, you know. And that's kind of the spirit. That's kind of the spiritual energy that is there that kind of gets transferred. So, one way it's letting go of pain, another way it's getting feeling better, feeling happier, feeling p- more peaceful. Uh, and so, um, it fits into a peacemaking mode. The great thing about it for us is that we can focus on our participants and say, well, we can, if we can train them to get more centered, then that, that transmits, that transmits to the clients. Henry, I know you've known it with clients. They start for the first time. They're hardly speaking to each other. Mm -hmm. They're giving negative zabs to the other people and so forth. And, Nobody's reacting, and, and uh, all of a sudden, by the second or third time, they're beginning to say, where are those quick claim deeds that we have? It, it must be, are they in our safe, or are they under that drawer, that third, you know, and they're starting to talk about things and talking about their kids. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden, it doesn't, work, it doesn't work magic every time. Sometimes you just get a settlement. Other times, it's like a miracle. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have to... I see you're not in your head, which is true.
1: Yes. And Stu, you touched on a couple of things that I want to uh, go back to. Uh, one thing is that collaborative uh, really... Com- collaborative practice is really the process, the practice that comes from within that entails... Uh, individuals uh, the practitioners to really start asking deep questions of who who they are Um, so I I don't know uh, you know what came first uh, and it may be the chicken or the egg uh, type question whether the collaborative practice came first or the deep questions that are so inherent to the practice both for the practitioner and for the client to really ask of, of, of who are we really? Uh, and why are we here? Uh, and that becomes integral, and in fact, even from my experience, even more important than you know, who gets the house or who gets the couch or who gets the car.
0: Oh, that is so true. And, and really what's happened is that uh, just to go back, I've been a searcher for higher consciousness all my life. Mm-hmm. That's are If you've had that spark inside of you at some time, that started growing, and you start looking around for what, what's this all about, and so uh, what, one of the things I've come to realize is that you know there's a lot of talk now. Or I want to say one thing first. One of the things that is we we now know, and science knows. For the most part, even though the old fundamentalist scientists don't know it yet, consciousness is not sourced in the mind and body. Consciousness is overarching. And neuroscience tries to make us think that the our minds are, a, are the consciousness is in here. And basically our minds and brains are a transmitter, like a TV set. Uh-huh. And when I see the neuroscientist pointing and say, this is the this is the amygdala, this is this, this, and I'm saying, well, that's like looking at the TV set, and this is the cathode Ray tube, and this is this, and the sound comes through here. Well, really, once we see that consciousness is higher than who we are, basically, then we try to find out who are we and and we get rid of our, we have to kind of get rid of our minds, put that over here. Uh, I saw a wonderful thing the other day. Our minds are such a wonderful, wonderful tool when we're working, when we figure things out. But I saw something the other day that a psychologist had said, you know, what happens we have this monkey mind that jumps around and it jumps around when we're not engaged. As soon as we're engaged with doing a problem or doing something, it, it works fine. As soon as we're, we stop doing that and put it on, on hold, then a static comes in.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like a TV set or an FM station, when you lose the signal, you get the static. And so even when we try to meditate, that's, that's a quiet thing. And all of a sudden, the mind shows up. So we do a lot of learning, to trying to separate our minds from who we are. The interesting thing is we get so focused on our minds that we all of a sudden we forget to ask, well, who are we if we're not our minds? Who are we? And the old uh, traditional Hindu people and people from India used to ask, Nedi Nedi, you know, I, I'm not, like so we can't define what we are, but we can can find out what we aren't. I'm not my label. I'm not my thought. I'm not my mind. I'm not my body. Wait a minute, I'm not my emotions. Because I have those, I have those, they come and go. Well, who am I? So you, you start asking yourself deeper and deeper and deeper to find out who are you? And every person can do that. Every person can ask themselves that question. They're the only one who can ask it for you. You can't tell somebody else who you are. Only they can find that out. And we live our lives in our minds, and we don't ask that question. How many of us have ever asked the question, who the hell are we? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and so it, the more we find out who we are, we experience peace, we experience happiness, we experience that the conflict is out here, but it's not us. Mm. And we find out that our awareness of who we are does not have the destiny of our bodies and minds. That's pretty profound. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And we can hardly handle that. Uh, There's a beautiful poem by somebody that says, uh, we know, I think uh, uh, Nelson Mandela's uh, um, uh, inauguration speech, he borrowed it from someone who is, uh, uh, can't think of her name now, I should remember it. who said we're not afraid of uh, of our worthlessness?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We're afraid of our powerfulness. Mm-hmm. We're afraid of, we, we're afraid of who we are. Mm-hmm. We don't look at that because uh, we think, oh, I can't, I can't possibly be that.
1: Yeah. So, Stu, as I'm as I am listening to you, um, so many, so many so many so many things are arising for me oh (laughs) yes yes one of them being uh, the concept of non duality that I know for you has been very very influential that I know for me has been very very influential and you began alluding to the concept that uh, we are all part of a greater consciousness a greater intelligence uh, that is not separate that you know, we're, we're perhaps may appear to be waves that, but we are waves that are arising from the same ocean. Uh, so could you elaborate on uh, this? And, and this this is, of course, I know a very big question, but on this concept of non-duality.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, um, so, uh, so many, not so many, but few people through the, through the ages have become, what we call the But it's really like, it's like all of a sudden they, they, are, they become consciousness. Now somebody says, well, how can we all become consciousness? One of the beautiful metaphors for me is picture a big pond with a, a big field with a lot of ponds. And the sun is shining. And the sun is shining and reflecting on all of the ponds. So it's like consciousness is reflecting uh, all of us and we are a part of that. In fact, it's pretty profound to say this, but and it's hard, hard to get, but everything, is, everything is consciousness. Everything is conscious. There's a wonderful story. I think J.D. Salinger wrote a little uh, little boy who was a genius, and he's sitting at his table, and he's saying, he's pouring his milk into his cereal, and he's saying, God pouring God into God. (laughs) And in that regard, you know, I have to confess, I, I, um, the word God gets in my way, because I tend to think, because of my training, as a religious person, way little. In my Protestant Pat, Presbyterian background, God was an object out here. Yeah. It was a person. You know, we have we kid about the gray hair and, you know, the big throne. But um, when I think of God, I, I can't think of, but I can think of consciousness. Mm-hmm. I can think of conscious awareness. I can think of who we are. I can mm-hmm. think of all those kind of words are like a stream like a, an energy uh, that is there. And th- once you plug into that, that's non-duality. Mm-hmm. You're coming from one place, not two. The other place we come from, in our normal non-dual thinking, is we come from our subconscious. So we hear, uh, we say, I'm good. I'm bad. I'm good. I'm bad. Good, bad. That's the mind. The mind, when it gets in the chatter, tells you some good things, but it also tells you what a stupid person you are. And and like one of my great authors, uh, Untethered Soul book, he says, Imagine that your thinking is your roommate. How long would you tolerate a roommate (laughs) that chatters to you all the time about what a stupid person you are? and how you can't do anything right, or whatever. Uh, You know, you'd get them out of there. You'd you'd find a new roommate. Uh, uh, So it's like not paying attention to our minds because the mind is like our ego. It's trying to protect itself. It's belief that you are a separate person and you have to be defended. And so we have to get past our minds, and it's very difficult, because the mind veils our consciousness. It puts, it's like, once again, the milk from the milk, it's like consciousness is veiling consciousness. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, um, but the point is, our meditation, it, what I'm talking about is beyond meditation. mm mm-hmm. It's beyond meditation because meditation gets you as far as you can with your mind. But uh-huh. there's something beyond that that you have to break through to. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that's, I'm sure that's one of the things that, uh, um, Henry, that you're doing uh, with your teacher, Angie. And, um, when, and when you go to India, have uh-huh. a special time to... Get that special time to where you're more open to do. I'm here. I don't face this conflict every day anymore. I can just sit here and have fun talking about it. You people who are in the trenches,
2: uh-huh. you
0: know, that are every day, you're you're doing the same things with people who have conflicts and problems. And uh-huh. and uh, the more you can get centered into who you are, then the more you can be peaceful with that going on. caught up otherwise you're caught up with them
1: yes yes and 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 Stu as as I'm hearing this and 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 you brought up Michael Singer which has also had tremendous influence on me and I think of the phrase from Michael Singer from untethered soul uh, that goes you know when you begin from a place of peace you can deal with anything and so when our colleagues uh, or our clients ask me okay well everything you're talking about consciousness and peacemaking and um all of this is nice but i have they they will generally say but i have a practical question you know how how do we divide the house how do we divide the car how do i move through um this place of conflict this this conflict how do i talk to my children and for me the response is always first get in the place of peace get in the place of peace and then act from there of course that also you know is very re- related in Bhagavad Gita um, where uh, Krishna says to Arjuna yes get into yoga first
0: I love that I love
1: that yeah get into okay. yoga first and then act from there and to me that's the same thing that Singer is talking about, You know, get into peace first, connect with your peace first, and then the right action, because then you're tuned into the consciousness, and then the right action spontaneously arises from that consciousness. So do you have any other words for people who maybe are listening to this, or people who are our colleagues, who are saying, okay, well, I've done you know, collaborative training Uh, One and two, and I've done mediation training, uh, but now uh, uh, your guys are talking about consciousness and things that they haven't covered in collaborative course. So, what does this have to do with being a peacemaker, with uh, empowering people to connect with their peace and to uh, find a way through conflict?
0: The hardest thing is to make, to, to able to talk to people about the shift, because you can, you can talk about peace from the context of the mind, the thought, and say, oh, I want to be peaceful. I wrote a little eight-page brochure in 1980, in the 80s, called The Serenity Space, and it was a way that I was trying to separate the mind from the good stuff, the serenity space and the bad stuff, the insecurity space. I said, so try to, try to stay in this setting, but that's only working with the mind and people can't do that because the subconscious comes up. Rah, 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 rah. So how do you get people past that stage? When, it, when you talk about the, uh, the one little metaphor I like to use, you know the old mazes in England where you have the big hedges and you go in and you don't know whether to turn right or turn left. And you're lost in there. Well, if you had a ladder Mm -hmm. and you were 50 feet above, Mm -hmm. you could see, oh, you turn left here. Mm -hmm. You turn right here. And so that's where you're higher your consciousness. The higher you more, the more you're centered in who you are, the more you see the situation free of a lot of the conflict that you're caught up in. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's the magical part. And so part of our job in collaborative law and really in, in all the professions that are trying to help people is to see that there is a possibility of getting into a higher place. And, you know, I think, Henry, there is the transmission that happens. Mm-hmm. When we get in, when when we get into a place, well, Angie would be a perfect example of that. I'll bet. I've never met Angie, but I'll bet uh, if I'm standing next to Angie in a subway, uh, I'm going to feel him. Yes. <laughs> and so you know, there's a transmission that happens when when you're in a higher place as well. Yeah. So I think there's it's not all words. Word stuff gets people caught up in their minds. But if you get someone to explore slowly who they are or get quiet down, then something else happens. A wonderful thing that happens sometimes in collaborative law that there's a silence. Uh-huh. A silence. Now, traditionally, lawyers hate silence. We jump in and we ruin the silence, we shatter it with our words. The deeper that silence goes, the more some possibilities start coming up for the clients. Uh I've had cases where I'm representing the husband, wife says, Well, I may be crazy, but I'd be willing to blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, I would never be able to say to that person, why don't you do blah, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. But it's coming from a place of, of what, call it mystery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's there, it comes up. And mm-hmm. so that's part of the climate, we're setting. that's part of what peacemakers do. And peacemaker can't be just from, how mm-hmm. to be peaceful. Mm-hmm. got to be peaceful yes uh, and and uh, um, go to a perfect place in the world where everything is beautiful, the wall the ocean, the mountains, the stream oh so peaceful, but that's looking at, looking outside to get what you really want inside. you want to be able to go to a slum in New York and sit there and be peaceful Uh and compassionate and all the other things that come up from a positive place. But those are the tests. Those are the tests when you're facing what we're facing in the world today, all the chaos. We can get caught up in the chaos. We can go crazy about the chaos. Or we can see it from a place of who we are. Yeah. And know it in a different way.
1: That's so profound, Stu, with what you're saying. Uh, as I am listening to you, I am thinking of the poem by Rumi, uh, who says, there is a place beyond right and wrong. I'll meet you there.
0: I know, that's a beautiful poem. You know, and I
1: I think you and I often talk and and we've had many conversations uh, over the years about the paradigm shift, you know, that is sometimes so challenging for so many professionals, because I think especially lawyers get so caught up in the right versus wrong conversation that we never rise beyond it. And to me, Everything that you're doing, everything that I am doing is about going that place that is beyond right and wrong. And in that place, true magic happens. True magic happens because in that place, we start understanding each other as human beings and we start connecting with each other as human beings. And beyond that is when we start getting to non-duality level. where we are not even seeing each other as separate human beings but as part of the same one indivisible divine consciousness
0: i'm doing an experiment now here i want to share with you Mm -hmm. we have our local collaborative law group meets once a year for a big annual deal and three of us did programs this year we'll set up make up our own program so about a dozen lawyers a lot of them been around a while, uh, but with me and my my presentation was from the untethered soul, which read the first four chapters of untethered soul, forget the rest of the book, but read the first four chapters, that's my pitch to them, and moving from the untethered soul of who we are to all I call it, which is non-duality. So I taught that, presented it to these group uh, two months ago. Last in end of end of December, we did a Zoom. Mm-hmm. The thirteen of us, and t- tonight this afternoon, we're doing our second Zoom. So, and in the meantime, I've thrown out some other stuff to them, so giving them some. Uh, My ideas of a toolkit, but one may know But everybody can have their own toolkit. So the question is, what will work for you Mm -hmm. to get peaceful? What will get work for you to get more centered? Each person is different. Mm -hmm. There is no path. There's no rule here. You have to do it this way. That's the way we did it in religions. You know, you didn't do it this way. You're going to hell. You know. Mm -hmm. You know, no, 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 you know, It's like whatever will work for you, but there's support and loving way that you can provide that kind of loving support. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I think of sitting in a collaborative setting, now see I'm retired, I don't have to do this anymore. But sitting in a collaborative setting and sending low when someone else is talking, sending low, holy mackerel, uh, how powerful is that? so this experiment uh i just report on it but the main thing is there'll be there'll be eight people on that zoom this afternoon and to find out what's what's working for them now
2: mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. but you know to get them to share what what's working for them not me laying a bunch of stuff on them although i do that sometimes <laughs> It's hard not to right yes
1: yeah. <laughs> yes but you know Stu, as I'm listening to you to me it seems it's about create as you mentioned earlier you know it's about creating these transmitters so you've been one of the one of the uh, greatest transmitters of consciousness uh, of creativity you have influenced so many people around the world and now As people listen to you as people like myself get inspired by you uh, by your journey then we also become transmitters you know and then little transmitters all of a sudden operating all over the world uh, who are really getting it who are really interested in going deep interested in going beyond right and wrong interested in going beyond even meditation, beyond even uh, the thought, and truly experience that depth.
0: Beautiful, beautiful.
1: Yeah, and I think, uh, so for me, it's you're really an inspiration, Stu, and I'm so, so grateful uh, for the work you're doing, uh, for the consciousness that you're bringing, uh, and I'm so grateful to you that you were able to take the time today uh, to speak with me.
0: Well, you see, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm retired now. So I don't have, uh, you, you poor guys that are still in the struggle have a harder time staying centered. It's easier for me now because I don't have any of that stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Besides that, you know, I've learned a lot of how to handle myself. But I was thinking, when you said that, I had this mental image of, there's a mountain Mm -hmm. and it's a dark with a lot of paths and a lot of cliffs, and somebody at one stage, where it's a little dangerous, is standing there holding a lantern. And if you look around in the dark, you see a lot of lanterns being held. Mm -hmm. And... Somebody, maybe it's a torch, so somebody comes and gets a little flame from your torch Mm -hmm. and goes over to their position and holds it. And somebody else gets gets that flame from them and and starts lighting up. And that's what has to happen. Yes. You can't solve our problems, as Einstein said, on the same level as the problem. Yes. You have to solve them from a higher place. And that's what Henry and I have been talking about. And that's the good work that Henry's doing uh, in, in, the, in his conflict resolution stuff. And I know when he goes to see Angie, they go deeper than just this dissolving conflict thing that he's doing with his webinar. Uh, that's one thing he's doing with it, one package. But I know he's deeper than that. And I know Angie is too. And mm-hmm. I know, uh, we can sense that. And the uh, first time I met Henry uh, at a collaborative log gathering, I just connected with him like that. Uh, and uh, I really appreciate what you're doing. And uh, I'm so pleased that uh, to know that, that, it's, that it's really something that's happening With the partition people that participate in collaborative law because it's centered around getting better and getting getting closer to who we are. And getting very much for having me, Henry. Appreciate it very much.
1: Thank you, Stu. It's such an honor for me. Thank you. Love you. Love you too.